0: And before I read the passage of scripture, I wanted to ask you a question because it's a question that I was challenged by in a book I'm reading through right now. It's called The Discipline of Grace by Dr. Jerry Bridges, who just passed away recently, was on the staff of Navigators for over 50 years. And the question that uh, Dr. Jerry Bridges asks throughout the book is simply put, how good is good enough? How good is good enough? And the idea that's contained in that question, how good is good enough? For a Christian, how good do we have to be in order for God to accept us, in order for God to receive us? Does it have to be what Dr. Bridges calls a good day? A good day where maybe we are on the mission trip, witnessing and winning converts to Jesus Christ, we have our quiet time, and we're not committing any of the serious moral sins that are talked about in the Bible. Or what about on a bad day where maybe we slip up, we mess up, and we're guilty of sin, or maybe we don't do things that God tells us we should be doing? Does God look at us any differently because of our performance? And Dr. Bridges challenges Christians through the entirety of this book, and I think it applies to this story here in John chapter 4. The idea of whether or not God looks at us based upon our performance or whether it's something different that's more important and more vital that we need to see. So as we look at verses 16 through 30, up on the screen and in your Bibles, I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Jesus said to her, that's the woman at the well, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And then the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left the water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And then it says they went out of the town and they were coming to him, coming to Jesus. So as we look quickly at verses 1 through 15, there are just a few things that I just want to allude to. I'm not going to read the entirety of verses 1 through 15. Understand, first of all, that Jesus' conversation with the women at the well shows that Jesus reached all categories of people. In John chapter 3, he was reaching Nicodemus, the leader of the Pharisees, a religious leader of the day. And here in John chapter four, he was reaching someone who was radically different from Nicodemus. The Jews had a hostility toward the Samaritans because of their rejection of most of the Old Testament, because of their syncretistic, combined paganistic religious practices. So Jesus was reaching beyond the barriers of religion. And also Jesus was reaching beyond the barriers of sin as well because she was ostracized from the rest of her community because of her conduct. And in fact, it tells us here in John chapter 4 that she did not go out in the early part of the day with the groups of the rest of the women. She had to go out at the middle of the day, noon, by herself, which to me indicates that she was looked upon with great disdain by the rest of the community there. So Jesus asks her for a drink, a physical drink of water because he's tired and thirsty. And then he offers her something in verses 14 and 15. He offers her a different kind of a drink, a drink that is called living water, living water for the thirsty, empty soul that this woman had. And then as we get into the particulars of verse 16 through 30, we see that Jesus is not done with the woman. And the idea then applied to our lives is that no matter where we are at in our life, God is not finished with us. And so we have to then apply that 24 7 to our mindset toward how we're going to worship God. So as we look here at some of the elements of verses 16 through 30, I want you to understand that when we talk about worship, we're not talking about just coming to church for one or two hours every week. We're talking about a lifestyle of putting our complete allegiance and uh, submission to the Father through the Son, to the power of the Holy Spirit. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's some things here in verses 16 through 30 that I'd like you to see. They all begin with the letter E. So, if you're taking any notes, it's pretty easy for you to do the alliteration thing. First of all, verses 16 through 19, we see that each one of us is exposed as a sinner. Here are some principles for you to take home with you. First of all, the gospel is for sinners. It's not for saints. Jesus said, He came to seek and to save that which was lost. In the larger scheme of things, this woman was no worse than any of us, which is demonstrated by what he told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. We're told that Jesus was a friend of sinners. You look at the other passages in the Gospels, like Matthew 11 and Luke chapter 7, we see that Jesus was hanging out and he was fellowshipping with tax collectors. In John chapter 8, he told the religious leaders, when they wanted to cast the first stone at the woman caught in adultery, that you that is without sin can cast the first stone because Jesus was a friend of sinners. The Pharisees, on the other hand, thought that they did not need the gospel because uh, they thought that their performance was enough. But Jesus said that they would have to be humbled. And Jesus told this parable in Luke chapter 18, and I have the verses on the screen. This is what Jesus told the religious leaders of the day And so the principle we see here, not only in Luke 18, but also going back to John chapter 4, is that God reaches down to us regardless of where we are at in life. And sometimes it's easier, actually, for the gospel to touch what we call the down-and-out sinner rather than the up-and-out sinner. Now, Dr. Bridges talks about two traps for Christians in his book. He says that the first trap is excessive legalism. That is that we look at God and say that God is only looking to have fellowship and relationship with people who are performance-based, that is, those who keep all the rules, those who do all the good things and never fail. And so when you have excessive legalism, not only are you putting a lot of pressure on yourself, but you're also putting a lot of pressure on other Christians because you say that God is not going to be there for them when they fail him. Or you may be the type of Christian who lives with excessive guilt all the time, and you're so hard on yourself that you never think that God can forgive you when you fail. So Dr. Bridges says that ultimately, none of us are really worthy to have a relationship with God. And so what we need to do each and every day is what he calls preach the gospel to ourselves because each one of us is exposed each and every day as a sinner in need of a Savior. And so even if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, like I did, I accepted Christ about 37 years ago as my Savior, I still need to come back to the cross each and every day because I'm exposed as a sinner. And when I base my relationship with God, my identity with Christ upon my performance rather than the gospel, I'm either going to be a legalist or I'm going to walk around feeling guilty and full of shame. And we don't want to be there. We want to have a relationship that is alive and vibrant. And that's what Jesus attempted to do with this woman at the well to lead her to a relationship with him that was not based upon performance. And that's obvious because her performance wasn't very good, was it? Because she had lived a life of adultery. Now as we go further on in verses 20 through 22, we see that true worship engages us. True worship engages us. Okay? And as we see here in verses 20 through 22, she's concerned more about the externals. She says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. So her concern was where to worship. Applying that to today, there are a lot of people who get wrapped up about religious controversy when it comes to what we ought to be doing. So they're concerned about the style of music. They're concerned about the style of dress. They're concerned about the mechanics of how Christians should study the Bible and how they should pray. They're concerned about all of the external things that divide Christians. Jesus did not even get into any of that. You notice here that Jesus deflected and focused more on what is on the inside, what's on the internal, what is in the heart. He said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews." But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So Jesus was concerned more about the how and about the whom we worship rather than about the external where to worship. And so as Christians today, that should be the focus as well. We should be worried more about how we worship. And in this context, Jesus is talking about the fact that we need to be worshiping according to the principles of salvation. In this setting, it was in the Hebrew Scriptures as fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so bringing it to the 21st century, we need to be concerned about worshiping according to the principles of salvation that are taught in the Scriptures, i.e. based upon the Word of God. And we need to be worried about worshiping the Father through the Son and in the Spirit, which He's going to reveal to her next. So that's the focus. It's not about these external things that divide us. It's Who are we worshiping, and how are we worshiping? So ultimately the question is, where is your heart? And Jesus gives us other encounter in Matthew chapter 15, again with the Pharisees. You notice Jesus is doing a lot of his teaching with the Pharisees to talk about this internal aspect of worship. In Matthew 15, we're told, Then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What would you have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. And then Jesus tells the scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. And so in a larger sense then, as Jesus goes through this encounter with the woman at the well, her heart is going to be drawn closer to God than the scribes and Pharisees that were basing their existence upon performance. And as Christians... It is easier for the gospel to touch somebody who is at the bottom than it is for somebody to be touched who is living life thinking that God accepts them because they've met all of the markers that are set out in God's word. And so we need to be engaged and we need to have a heart relationship with God. That's what Jesus is telling the woman at the well. And then true worship is going to enlighten us. True worship is going to enlighten us. Look here again at verses 23 and 24. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. That's what he's telling the woman at the well. These are the type of people that God is seeking after, people that are going to worship him in spirit and truth. Okay? So it corresponds to the how and the whom to worship in the previous section. What Jesus is saying is that true worship, and again, I'm not talking about coming to church one hour a week. If that is all you're doing, then you're not going to be engaging God either with your heart or your head. Now, maybe you will, but chances are if that's all you're giving to God one hour out of 168 hours in a week, that's not where your desires are going to be at. You have to have this balance of the heart and the head. Here's one quick example for you in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And this is the disciples in Acts chapter 4 after the day of Pentecost with all that was going on in Jerusalem. I like this verse because it summarizes the balance when we're talking about our worship each day. Verse 31 of Acts chapter 4, And when they, that is the disciples, had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the in spirit part. Here's the truth part. And continue to speak the word of God with boldness. So the disciples had the balance of the moving of the Holy Spirit in conjunction with the power of the word of God. Now, this is what true worship is going to look like when you're under the control of the Holy Spirit each day. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 18 through 21. He says, As Christians, we are commanded to not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That's a joyous Christian, right? Someone who's worshiping every day out of the overflow of their heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 21, that's our attitude as well. One of submission and humility instead of pride and arrogance, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is a Christian who is on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, who's having a living encounter with Christ each and every day under the control of the Spirit. But we also need to keep in mind that Jesus Christ is truth. He is real. He is genuine. He is authentic. As we go into the Easter season, perhaps more during this time of the year than any other time besides Christmas, we have the opportunity to share that Jesus Christ is truth, which means that we need to be willing to engage people, whether they have intellectual opposition to the Word of God or to the historical evidence for Jesus being who he says he is, or people who just genuinely do not accept our biblical worldview because Jesus is, is truth. And I have just several examples from the Gospel of John for you to consider. We're going to be in the Gospel of John when I am speaking three out of the next six weeks. So I'm going to apply some of these principles as I go through my sections of John. And I just want you to see that uh, John's Gospel presents Jesus Christ as truth. He is the true light, He is the true bread from heaven. Jesus says, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink pertaining to communion, right? He says, I am the true vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you are going to bear fruit. And then he says in the high priestly prayer in John 17 that I am the only true God. And one other thing that I did not put on the slide is John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but through me. So Jesus Christ is truth. He is not a way to God. He is the way to God. And so our worship in spirit and in truth needs to combine both the heart that is alive for God with the head that knows that Jesus Christ is truth. And then finally, the last E in this passage, we see that in the final engagement with the woman going forth in verses 25 through 30. Is that true worship is going to encounter each and every one of us where we are at. She had an encounter with the living Jesus Christ. And so the way to worship the Father is through the Son, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have just some other references from the Gospel of John for you to consider. Take these home with you as you go into your week. Look at how Jesus Christ can have a living encounter with each of you as you go into your week, each day, each moment. The Father loves the Son... Whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. And then, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And then, as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Then finally, in John 14, 13, Jesus says, the Father is glorified in the Son. So the answer to all of our challenges is to have an encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what this woman did. If you look further on through the next part of the section, you can see that Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. We see that through her testimony, many of the Samaritans believed him because of of her testimony, not only because he told her all that he ever did, but also because he offered her that living water of eternal life. And so the message for each one of us is that we can have an encounter with the living Jesus Christ. Now, if you've never had that living encounter with Jesus Christ, there is never a better moment than the present because Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. But if you perhaps received Jesus Christ many years ago, and your walk with God has become a little bit stale, you perhaps don't have a lot of life in in your faith, which we see in some of the patients we talked to at the hospital, there's never a better time than the present moment to say, Lord God, I want to have a renewed, invigorated relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I desire to have that relationship with him starting now. John Piper puts it this way. I like the way he summarizes this passage. He says, we as Christians need to have what he calls four Fs. We need to have fuel. We need to have fire. We need to have furnace, and we need to have heat. This is where putting all of these precepts together aligns. He says that the fuel of worship is the grand truth of a gracious and sovereign God. The fire that makes the fuel burn white hot is the quickening of of the Holy Spirit. The furnace made alive and warmed by the flame of truth is our renewed spirit, and the resulting heat of our affections is worship, pushing its say out in tears, confessions, prayers, praises, acclamations, lifting of hands, bowing low, and obedient last. And as you look at those last elements that he describes there, are those just for one hour a week when you come to church, or are those things you can do 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Those are things we can be doing all the time because our life is to be full of worship. So he says we need to be Christians who have fuel, we have fire, we have furnace, and we have heat. And if you want to make a difference in the world, you need to be somebody who is on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that starts with having an encounter with Him. So this passage is a tremendous challenge to me as I see that my performance is not good enough. Jerry Bridges answered the question by saying... Your performance is not good enough. None of us is good enough for God. So what we need is to have a daily encounter with the living Jesus, regardless of where we're at in life. And as the music team comes up to wrap up our service, I just want to ask you, as you bow your heads and close your eyes, as they get ready to conclude our service, have you ever had an encounter with the living Jesus Christ? If you've never had that encounter, I challenge you today to approach one of the chaplains or one of the other leaders in our service and ask how you can have that initial encounter to have that relationship with Jesus Christ that you've never had before. Perhaps you're someone who's had that relationship, but it's just kind of become one that's become mundane and dull because you don't have that fire, you don't have that heat, and you desire to get closer to God. I can tell you that because we have a God who approaches us from the standpoint of grace instead of looking at our performance. He'll forgive you, he will restore you, and he will give you victory right where you're at.